Hello there and welcome to the Storymakers Institute. Conversations, analysis and big ideas with those who create the world's stories. Welcome back to members of our Substack community who gain access to podcast episodes, written posts and a handy email that will drop into your inbox whenever a new episode of the show arrives. If you'd like to subscribe for free, all you need to do is fill in your email address at our website, thestorymakersinstitute.substack.com and voila, you've joined the community. On today's episode, we're talking to someone who's spent 40 years on screen and on stage, appearing in shows like Prisoner, House Husbands, Utopia Rake, and so many others, and on stage regularly with major theatre companies across Australia. Louise Siverson has seen it all. And in this conversation, she reveals secrets of the writer's room. We talk diversity, the bravery it takes to make work, and the ferociousness required to stick it out. Stick through some slightly average audio quality. It truly is a fascinating conversation. This is the Storymakers Institute with Joel Carnegie. Be deeply impressed, particularly if you sing it as a cow. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Lou, we have we have endless conversations about story, story making, how to tell stories. We even work on things that are... We even work you know, on them. So, you we know, even work on them. So we, 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 should, mm. we, should, we should have some insight, I think, into this, into this process mm-hmm. of story making. And, and so I want to ask, it's a bit of a big question, but yeah. when, does a, when does a script or when does, when does a piece of writing go zing for you? I think it's a conglomeration of things. And I think it's it's a lot to do with time and contribution. And it's a lot to do with relationship. I think often, you know, in my experience, story takes a long time. And sometimes you think you've got a story and then when you embark into it, you realise or onto it, you realise, no, now's not the time or this is not the person I should be telling this story with. Uh, so for me, it's, for instance, if I talk about it from the perspective of um, uh, my work with Peter Houghton, whom, as you know, I work with regularly, and we have a show coming up that we've written together. Pete and I have worked together over a 20-something period, um, year period. So uh, we have a long history together of understanding what's interesting to the other person and what's interesting to us when we're with that particular other person. So I think what happens is you kind of get um, you kind you. It's a symbiotic thing in the sense that you you work to under you're interested in the other person, and as a consequence, the thing that you share as an interest starts to get ignited. And when that starts to get ignited, you'll start discussing things often very personal about what's troubling you, challenging you, making you afraid. And once I get into that bracket of interrogation, I find that I can really light up because I'm very curious about what makes me afraid or what makes people afraid. And usually, again, this is only my experience, as an artist, if I'm afraid, and I don't mean afraid for my life in a, in a poorly run room, what I mean is if I'm afraid of the, of the idea or the concept or it's really challenging me in some way, I'm probably onto something. So, in a way, it's a it's a kind of form of therapy, if you will. I don't like to think of it like that because I like to think I come to my work whole in the sense. I mean, 
nobody's ever whole in, in a true sense because we're always a work in progress. But I like to think I come to my work in a professional way. I don't come to my work expecting it to heal me or solve me. That's not what's interesting to me about art. What's interesting, I think, to me about art is unification. And I like to to be involved in projects with other people where I can feel unified and productive with them and that together we can uncover unknown aspects of ourselves and each other as, a, as, a, as an entity which, which forms when you make work with someone else. It's like there's a third person arrives. Like when you and I work together, there's another entity, isn't there? That's like in a way we get the privilege of raising each other up to another level by virtue of that interaction. So then there's somebody, there's another entity that's present that that is our imagination gone gone wild in a way. So you can leverage the other person up to a more productive enclave by being in company with another because I like to make work with other people. I'm not particularly interested in making my own work unless I'm writing a book or something, which I've just completed now. But even there I was working with another artist. Um so I like that thing where I'm kind of getting into somebody else's head and finding out how they see the world and then it helps me look at the world freshly. Mm. I don't think that answered your question, but anyway. Well, what's, what's kind of springing to mind is that, in, that what is sort of essential in this process, if we kind of take the idea of therapy away, but, yep. but, but that we replace it with this idea of the space between us and, yep. and, the, uh, and that that has to be a space of of deep respect and trust and and yes. and, and and for us to kind of and you specifically in this context to have the ability to be able to admit things that do make you afraid that you otherwise might not tell someone about i think making work is an incredibly brave and rigorous affair it and if if you aren't going if you aren't going to approach it like that, it's unlikely that you're going to make anything important. There must always be some skin in the game for you to make something interesting. And I, I think that's why you it requires some maturity to choose a partner to write with or to choose a partner to make work with. Because you're offering up aspects of yourself what you need them to, to be very respectful of and that, that, you know, it's like, you know, get smart. There, there has to be the cone of silence around it. Where, you know, what stays in the, what happens in the room stays in the room because otherwise that, that my writing partner is going to feel unsafe and I don't want that because then they won't be generous and they won't feel like they can be productive with me and I want them to feel like they can be super productive with me and and also I want them to feel that they can tell me shocking things and I will I will take care of them not them specifically as a whole person because that's their job but I mean I will take care and be mindful of that information in the way that I want them to be mindful of my information I don't want to hear it you know that later in a cafe somewhere someone was talking oh did you hear about no 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 it's it's a sacred world to make work. It's very private. And yet so public. Unbelievably public because you really have to be brave enough to let the other person know how weak you are, how flawed you are, 
that's an unbelievable privilege to spend time with somebody who's oh, makes me want to cry, who's um, brave enough to give you that information. And because of the really good writing rooms, the really good working rooms where stuff is made, uh, can create an environment where the world slips away and there's just the two of you making this beautiful thing that may or may not ever be seen. But through that generosity and through that interrogation and through that, that development, even if it's not this thing that we're making that gets made, something will get made because you need that experience to be able to make whatever it is. I really know that to be true. Or something in a way is uh, whether whether the work is made or not, something is being achieved through the process of yeah. of doing it. Whether yeah. that's just purely internal resolution of something you've grappled with for a long time and have not had exactly. the ability to express in such a way. Yeah. It's, mm. it's a deep privilege. But, again, in my experience, you need to choose well, and that can be difficult because you don't always know how somebody's going to show up until you're in the middle of that process. Uh, because I've also been in the, in the, in these collaborations and they've just been hell and they've turned into shocking, shockingly disappointing experiences. Fortunately, not many. But, um, and that's why often people will stay together making work over long periods of time because it doesn't mean to say everybody sits around being polite with one another. That's not what I'm suggesting. You can be really rigorous with each other. Very honest. Very honest with each other and ask very, very um, uh, pertinent and, you know, um, incisive questions. And that requires you coming to the table going, no, I'm going to front up. I'm going to be with this person and I'm going to tell the truth. So it's not always an easy process, and it doesn't mean to say there isn't brisk and rigorous dialogue, dialogue too, uh, but I don't like being in those situations where it becomes offensive or aggressive. I don't find that work gets made in that. And for me, I don't, I don't make work in that environment. I go to work to experience joy, and that joy can be have fear attached to it, but I want to feel like I'm free and open. And do you think other people, do, I mean, do you think that's something that is sort of universally accepted as, as part of this process of story making in terms of being able to have those qualities within a room when you come into it? Do you need to establish that as a shared kind of vision of what you're trying to achieve before you walk into that space? Look, I don't think any artist enters, enters a room um, and wants to, to make trouble I don't, in the sense of, being an unpleasant environment. I don't think anybody genuinely goes into a room and, and thinks, yes, how can I make this a miserable experience? What I do think is that some people are more gifted at running productive rooms than other people. It's a skill like anything else and it's, it's an exercised required skill to make something beautiful and it takes a long time. In the same way that making work itself takes a long time, it takes a long time to know how to collaborate with someone productively it's a real skill you know it's the same as you know dramaturgy or acting or any of the thing all of it takes a long time You've got to practice like hell at it you know to do better at it 
in a way, the process of story making, as you describe it, is a bit at odds with the kind of pace of the world as we know it today. <laughs> yes, isn't it though? I mean, really. And and I think that's why we have problem uh, producing a lot of written work that's really strong because nobody wants to wait it out. You know, to make a really good piece of work and to go from draft one to draft three to draft eight to draft whatever, that takes time and it takes encouragement and it takes support and it takes money. And nobody wants to provide largely a lot of those things over time. They want the work to be, come on, give me the work now. You know, one couple of drafts, boom, out we go, let's put it on stage. Good work isn't made like that. Good work really is a is a laborious, repetitive you know, it's you've got to stand by it and stay with it and, and take the good with the bad and realise that certain things have got to be taken out and certain things have got to be put in. And all of that takes the time to sit away from it too. You've got to make the work and then sit away from the work and then come back to the work and then read the work and then come away from the work. And, you know, most people don't want to do that and they don't want to pay for it either. Do you think that's an Australian thing? Is it something about the value of story within this country in particular that, that is that is at odds with the required process of story making or do you see this more globally? Um, I haven't had the good fortune to work um, in, a, in a writer's room or a creator's room in other countries. I certainly have in workshop situations, um, most particularly in America, um, where one gets... A feeling like philanthropic, there's probably philanthropically, there's possibly more support. I think, and again, and you know, I keep saying this over and over. This is only my experience, but what I witness over decades of making work as an actor and a a maker is that, in general, there's a confusion about the value of what I do for a living. I think a lot of people are confused about the artist's role in community in Australia, I think it's, and I think it's been sorely misrepresented politically because if you look historically about the value and the necessity of art, no civilised functioning community operates without art because to record a story, you're making art. And we're, we're always recording our stories to understand our history and to understand the human race and to understand why we're doing certain things and why certain things get repeated. That's art. That's storytelling. However it's made, it's still, it's still storytelling. It's still art. And it still benefits all of us in whatever form that comes. So we have a misunderstanding about how absolutely essential the nature of art is. It's not some kind of, you know, pleasurable pastime that, you know, I'm doing to sort of fill in the, <laughs> you know, the spare hours. I, I do this diligently, religiously, because I understand what I'm doing is an extremely valuable uh, service to my community. I'm helping my community through my skills and experience to understand themselves and educate themselves to do better and it's unifying because once we're in a place together watching the telling of a story we're recognizing ourselves in that in that story 
So, oh, oh, that's me. Oh, my God, that's me. Oh, my God, I just, oh, my God, that's what it looks like when I do that. So all of those things are incredibly helpful. They, they help us understand how, how, how to do this better or, or where the problems live. There's a lack of clarity around the role of the artist in community in Australia, in my experience. What is the missing link then between the way in which the role of the artist is presented in the context of the world in which we exist right now compared to the sort of aspirational role of the artist as you describe it? What's that piece that's that's not there right now? <laughs> Money. Um, <laughs> I, I, look, it's such a it's such a grand question, isn't it? What is that missing link? I, I I think I think educating people to understand the purpose of art and how inherently civilizing art is to us. I think that that is a really valuable tenant to offer somebody who's confused by the status of art or thinks it's some sort of useless, you know, wasteful pastime. I think to start to understand the grander reasons for art, the majestic reasons to make art, be it theatre or literature or poetry or painting or whatever it is, all of it is essential to our well-being. So insofar as that, I think that there, there's probably within the school curriculum, a way to educate people to understand not just about doing the act of it, but understanding why we're doing the act of it. What do you mean by civilising? I think we, we learn to be civil with each other, don't we? Through example, through the telling of stories. It's like a moral tale teaches us about how to be civil with each other, to civilise ourselves. How to exist in the world. Yeah, but how to exist in the world in a, in a respectful, graceful, moral, dignified, uh, contributing fashion, which I regard as civilising somebody so that they behave in a civil, uh, respectful manner when they're, when they're in company or, for that matter, when they're not in company but they have a regard for the human form, that what a human being can do and how it can form a relationship. But I think, I think like everything else, that those skills have to be taught and they have to be encouraged. And I think a place that you can do that, particularly in my world, is you can do that in the theatre and you can do that through film and series and those sorts of things where you watch people play out relationships what fails, what works, who's encouraged, who becomes despondent, how they feel isolated when they feel abused, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can watch that and go, oh, I, I see that. Oh, that's what it looks like when that happens. It's civilising. It's helpful. Do you find that the stories that are being kind of produced today are substantially different to the types of stories that were being produced in the decades previously? I'm not sure that I do. I think essentially story remains the same. I think there's a number of stories at the heart of any program, uh, at the any 
in any piece of art, there's there's sort of a, a series of possible f- archetypical forms that can be returned to again and again and again. I think we change what our taste is in terms of watching or, or how something's directed or produced or styled or designed or whatever. But I think if you took off the style element and just looked at the story, you'd probably see, oh, that's the archetypical story, the quality of la-la-la, you know, that you'd, you'd start to see, oh, it's the same as, you know, it's, it, they marry up in, in terms of what they're trying to say. It's just the way in which they're being produced is different. So perhaps the scenarios and the, you know, the, the surface qualities of, uh, and the locations and so on and so forth, all of those things, but, but really what you're suggesting is underneath all of that and all of the stuff that you see and deep down there is a certain, would you say, number of stories or certain types of stories that kind of exist at the kind of core of what we're trying to achieve within story making? I'm 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 not sure I'd place a number quality on it, but I would certainly say that there is there are qualities of story. So there's there's archetypes of story that bring those qualities forward, and we look at those. We're looking at the individuals through the lens of that particular archetype, and going, oh, let's interrogate this, or or. Or, you know, for instance, the quality of courage. So then you place somebody under great stress and see whether they're going to meet the task. That's an ongoing, I mean, that's one of the one. that's an archetype that particularly interests me um, because I'm interested in that quality. So that's something that gets played out again and again. And you can put a whole lot of stuff on the top of it, you know, the design quality, what the girls and boys are wearing and others are wearing, so on and so forth. But, but basically what you're saying is this is, this is what we're interrogating. And that's that's historical. That just gets because people are people. People now, people in the fifteenth century, we're still just people. We've still got problems. We're falling in love. We're falling out of love. We're trying to meet something. We're losing money. We're gaining money. We're you know we're missing that job. We're training for this. We're not getting that. You know we break a leg. We get an illness. I mean it just goes around and around and around and around and around. It's just that we've got different clothes on. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and the medical resources are improving. You know. Well, that's always helpful. Yeah. More, yeah. a few more injections that you, you can have to avoid some yeah. of the plagues uh, yeah. of, the, of the Middle Ages, <laughs> those are best to be avoided at all costs. Yeah, absolutely, at all costs, although the, they could make a good story. They could. Uh, very helpful. Uh, courage is, a, is, is something you mentioned just before about how that's kind of a central theme. Um, of course, we all, uh, it's all something that we all grapple with in various ways uh, in, a, in our lives, but do you think there's something about being a story maker that requires you to sort of embody courage in a, in a greater sense than perhaps other <laughs> other careers. <laughs> Look, I think you know, not 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 to put tickets on anybody, but I, I I do think to keep fronting up as an artist, you've got to have spine, and 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 spine is born out of the cultivation of a tremendous amount of courage to keep turning up, because most of your life as an artist is going to be spent failing or being rejected. That's just the given. You know, you strike rate. <laughs> you, <laughs> you strike, your strike rate is, 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 is always, you know, pretty low. I mean, you might have those periods where you're just kicking goals all over the joint and you think, oh, this is going to go on forever, but of course it never does. Uh, but in a general sense, 
there's going to be an awful lot of things that won't get made before something gets made. And you've got to be able to stick it out or you're not going to, you're just not going to do any part of it. And, the, and that, even if you're not making work, even if you're just an, you know, just an actor, if you're, if you're, if you're, your, your career is only working as an actor um, and you're not independently making your own work, you're still going to have to keep turning up decade after decade once you've been, you know, didn't get that, didn't get it, no, 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 no. Oh, yes, you got this one, you know. I mean, that, that takes particular qualities to be able to manage that because then when you, get to, when you do get the yes, you've got to be ready to go. You can't be dragging your heels in the nose that, that have peppered the last, you know, three, five, whatever years. You've got to be ready to go. And, I, and that's why I think there's something really productive for me as an actor, particularly in making work as well as, as, as acting in work. And often I make work to, to act in myself. But, but even if I'm making work for another, that's a tremendously inspir- inspiring and, uh, uh, and productive world to be in because it means when I, when I then do turn my face to, to being j- just an actor, not making the work, I'm ready because I'm, I'm you know, I, I've been cooking all of that time. <laughs> Yes, out comes the biscuits. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Perfectly cooked. That view kind of, for me, feels a bit at odds with the way in which kind of acting and story makers are kind of melded into the, into the sort of celebrity uh, phenomenon um, mm-hmm. where the assumption is, well, you're on millions and millions of dollars for absolutely everything that you do. You go to yeah. parties and you kind of, you know, you live the high life of, you know, yeah. paparazzi and houses and trips to the Greek islands and all that sort of your <laughs> private jet and all that. You know what I mean? Like, this is not the experience of the majority of people working in story making, but I think there's something, and maybe it goes to the idea of what is the role of the artist, but I think there is something in this to do with the idea of the way in which story making is framed in the context of celebrity and that therefore, well, they don't need support because they're already on millions anyway, but no one's really bothered to interrogate this that carefully. Would you agree with that idea? Uh, Look, I think there's a tremendous amount of fantasy that exists around what I do for a living. Uh, A tremendous amount of fantasy. But the truth of it is, uh, you know, 0.01% of my community are operating at the level that you just talked about. They're, They're like such a minor aspect of the arts community. It's so ludicrous to even think about it. And it's certainly ludicrous to head off into a career thinking that that's going to be your experience. Now, it may well be your experience, but the chances are it's not going to be. You're going to be working week to week, year after year, with a lot of your projects and your auditions failing, failing in the sense that it wasn't your turn. I don't mean failing in the sense that you didn't, make something beautiful at the time. I think it's problematic because largely there is no interrogation of what the broader arts community is doing day to day and what that life involves and includes. And my life certainly isn't running around on jets, going to Greek islands, doing that. And And in the essence of what's possible in this country, I would have to say I've been successful in my working life. Uh, 
I've worked on marvellous productions and continue to do so and, you know, touching wood, I'll keep that going for a long time to come. But I'm not running around with boundless amounts of money or, you know, zipping from island to island. That just simply isn't my experience. And it doesn't lessen my contribution or what I've made. It doesn't make my experience any less important than whether I was working on a, you know, an enormous set on in the middle of Los Angeles or wherever. It's, it's about why I want to do it. There's numerous reasons for that. And I don't think that that's interrogated in the largest sense because it's not really very interesting to most people. Most people are interested in the idea of fame. They're not interested in the idea of art or making good work. They're interested in this idea of me being a celebrity for not doing anything in particular. But in my experience, to make good work, you have got to be super talented. And you have to have worked at that talent for a long time to get it into a position where it's open and impulsive and intuitive enough to be able to make something beautiful. That takes an unbelievable amount of, of work and courage and commitment. It's, it's, you know, the turning up at a festival and having your photo taken, that's, that's the byproduct of, of, of hours and hours of labour. And I don't think that that's ever spoken about. Because really what you're interested in and what, you know, what the person was wearing or who they're dating or what, I mean, what's that got to do with making work? It's got nothing to do with it. It's got absolutely nothing to do with it. Where I'm living or who I'm living with, what? But so I think there is a great confusion, but I think there's a great confusion about the value of fame. Because of the fact that we as a culture aspire to that at all costs and that certain mm. structures are set up in order for us to believe that we need to get to that point? I think fame has been, conf been confused with uh, value. Fame doesn't make you valuable. It just makes you famous. It just makes you seen, that's all, for a, a window of time. And that window of time is going to close because what you have to understand is that fame is fleeting and you will be disposed of so that the next famous person can get into that slot. And because of the machinery that's moving at such a speed now, that window is opening and closing very quickly. So your chances of, you know, I think Andy, Andy Warhol's 15 minutes is now down to about three and a half. Seconds. <laughs> Seconds. So I think you, you're, for you to endure, you need something more productive and a lot more valuable than fame to entice you to continue because the chances of your getting that are about as good as winning the lottery. So you, you need another reason to be turning up. And that really the, the fame or the project or the thing that you're, you're on that suddenly you're in the spotlight for finishes and all of a sudden you're back to Joe regular. You can have done some of the most remarkable work ever, been in a show that's just gone absolute gangbusters and you can be back in the queue auditioning six, 12 months later and nobody will give a toss that you made that thing. It's just the nature of it. And years can pass then where you won't get anything. 
So you've got to be ready for that too. And, you know, that's happening to people in that point zero, you know, 1% too. It's just that it's not reported. It's just that then you'll see them reemerge five years later on a big film or whatever. You don't see, <laughs> you don't see what happened to them in the interim because that's not saying, I don't want to see that on the Instagram. I don't want to see them kind of at home in their pyjamas, you know, wondering what happened to their life. No, 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 I don't want to see that. <laughs> You know, we want to see glossy, we want to see shiny, we want to see what it looks like when everybody's shiny, except in my experience, most people aren't shiny all the time. Why do we want to see that? I think we've idealised that that has got a relationship to happiness or or worth. And again, this is only my point of view. I, I think it's really misguided. What, 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 what? What our scale of is associated to value in our minds has got distorted, and I always fall back on on what I know to be true, which is there is something incredibly deeply satisfying about having worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked, and, worked and then something happens. The return from my work. And my contribution is so much greater than if I just walked through a door and it all started happening. And I've got, when I, when it does come to pass and they do say, yes, we're going to take this project or, or I get to make the project, you know, like I'm doing at the moment with Peter for next year or making the one with you or whatever, um, when those things happen, I can be genuinely sure that that happened because of my talent, my skill, my experience, my energy, my contribution. It wasn't a fluke. It didn't happen as a, some kind of lottery. It was an entire. It was entirely due to all of my contributing skill and my partner. If I'm making this work with somebody else, that our contributing work together made that possible. And then I can feel really stable in going forward with the project. Otherwise, it's like I'm standing on one leg because, you know, I, I had one of these lucky kind of events where I walked through the door and, you know, something incredible happened. And then what happens is you're freaking out because you're thinking, well, I only got this because I have to walk through the door before the other, you know, person walks through the door. You don't feel stable. When, when it happens for me now, I go, yeah, I can do this job. Putting aside the the more kind of global view of the artist and and fame and, and value and, and so on. If we go sort of, if we scale back down this conversation to the sort of point of working today and working in, in the process of, of story making and, and the challenges and the extraordinary experience that that, that that is, if you could take one thing away which is, uh, present in the way in which we tell stories right now, uh, what would that be? What could we do better at as story makers if we want to kind of take us from where we are now and the value and, and all that sort of stuff? But if we're talking specifically more at a kind of industry level, where do we need to go as 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 story makers to to tell better stories from where we are right now i think we're in a really interesting transitional period because we're in a period where um for want of another word diversity 
has become front and centre, which I think is a marvellous thing. I think it's an important thing and I think it's, it's, it's extremely important that all of our community sees itself in the world of storytelling. And I think we're transitional in the sense that we're trying to find out how to do that well and I don't necessarily think that we're always doing it to the benefit of the marginalised community. I think some. I think we could do better around how we include um, a diverse range of characters, because I I think what all of us want to see is ourself reflected in a story in a whole human flawed way. So that I can go, oh, I know that person, I see that person. I think that by introducing diversity and disallowing diversity to have that as part of their journey dishonours their contribution to any project. So I think it's about simply, I think there's a transition into the diverse communities just going into the fabric and becoming part of the fabric. So they're not these separate entities anymore, that they are part of the whole. I mean, I'm sitting in that as a mature-aged woman. I'm in that. I'm in the ages sector, you know. I'm female, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I I don't want to have that role given to me, you know, like, oh, she's the old woman kind of thing. I'm just this person. And I can't speak for other diverse aspects of my community that's for them to speak I can certainly be in conversation with them about it but what I know is that when I'm in a show I don't want to just be oh bring her on because she'll be like the old crone you know what I mean it's like what what the fuck I mean mean? it's like put me make me part of the story let me carry part of the story separate me off into this place where I'm, you know, lugging around some nonsense. <laughs> With a Zimmer frame. Yeah, on, on a Zimmer frame, you know. I mean, I want to be part of the conversation just because, which is what I am. I mean, good Lord, you know, we're, we're, the difference between you and I and we're friends is decades. It's got nothing to do with us being friends. So I don't come to you and go, oh, no, I'm the old person that's with Joel. I just come to the relationship, you know. And so when I'm watching things, I don't want to be watching something and go, oh, that's, you know, that's the kind of the diverse person who's got to be like, just put them in the story. What? what? I mean, that's how it is when you're walking around. I mean, I've got a diverse, you know, group of people who I love and care for. I don't think, oh, now I'm going to be with this diverse aspect of it, you know, my gay friends or my this friends or whatever. They're just people. So just put them in the story. Yes, if they've got something they want to say in the story, well, let them say it. But but aren't they, they, isn't that what they're doing in the world? I mean, they're just telling the world from their perspective. So let them tell it. Don't don't kind of condescend to them. I I don't like that part of it. So I think that could be done better. And, I mean, I'm sure, you know, the, the people will be, I remember, oh, Louise Simpson is blah, 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 you know, but. Fortunately, I don't read social media, so I won't care. But but I think, you know, it's about meshing us all together. It's not about separating us all off. So I think then the, and we're in the process of knowing how to do that in a transitional way. But I think we need to 
get a giddy up on that, you know, so that people do feel part of everything, that they don't feel they're being led into the room as some sort of, you know, singled off part of it. It's That looks good on a poster. No, no, definitely not, you know, and that they want to be challenged and seen to be flawed and seen to have problems and seen to mess up and all the things that human beings do, whether you're this or that or this or that or this or that. You're a human being and you have problems of your own making and from the external coming in. Do you think we'll get there? Yes, I do. Yes, I absolutely do. And I may be Pollyanna, but I absolutely do. Because, you know, for us to survive, we have to do better at this. We have to do better. And it's everybody's job, even those people who go, oh, I don't like anything to do with it. Well, too bad because it's your job. Because we we all have to contribute to the other person. I have to be taken care of. You have to be taken care of. We all have to take care of each other. Otherwise, this whole experiment is going to fail for sure. Of humanity you're describing yeah. here. Yeah, we'll, we'll implode. So, you know, my, my suggestion <laughs> is pick it up and get on with it. The Storymakers Institute is produced by the space company on Wadawurrung Country. Post-production by Dom Evans. Share an episode with your mates on the socials. Leave us a review on your favourite podcast app or tell us what you'd like to hear about or who you'd like to hear from at the Storymakers Institute at gmail.com. I'm Joel Carnegie. I'll catch you next time.